guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And you guys are not used to seeing us what on, are we a, doing here? on a Saturday it's morning. It's Saturday. But I thought this was important. Um, if you've looked around on the internet, you've seen all of this stuff about the California Air Resources Board attacking tuners. Everything's going to hell. And I, you know, I kind of go back and forth on whether it is or not. Obviously, it all is. We're all, everything's going to hell all the time, right? <laughs> it's my, from my perspective, everything, everything is Entropy, going to hell. Entropy, Chris, it's yeah. all degrading. Yeah, so we've got, I decided I wanted to get someone that actually knew what they were talking about on the podcast. We've got Javad Shazi, who's the president of O34 Motorsport coming on to talk about it. But why don't you tell me a little bit about what's going on first? The ever-present California Air Resource Board, the CARB, just released a statement that beginning July 19th, 2021, which was yesterday, two days ago actually, vehicles with software not provided by the original equipment manufacturer or approved through a California Air Research Board executive order will automatically fail smog check. So previous to this, you would go into your smog check center Mm -hmm. and they would do a visual inspection. Okay, it all looks ordinary. You have a catalytic converter, unless it's gutted. Which they wouldn't see. No, but then they do a sniffer test. Yeah. Right? They run the car and it checks for the fumes coming out, making sure it passes. Right. They're not going to even care about whether any aftermarket software actually is still compliant. Yes. They're just going to say, okay, we ran OBD port. It either is OEM or it's one of this short list of actual approved vendors. Right. If it isn't that, it fails automatically. Wow. Doesn't matter. That's incredible. So what we want to, we have so many questions about this. Yes. Like what does it take There's to become the approved vendor? Like what is this? So we wanted to talk to someone who knows this who industry. Who this is going to affect, who this is going to Yeah, be. so we are calling up Javad Shadzi the president and CEO of O34 Motorsport. Hello? Javai, this is Chris from the Overcrest Podcast. Hey, Chris. How's it going, man? Good. I'm here with my co-host, Jake. Hello. Hi, Jake. We're we're hoping you can fill us in on what the heck is going on in California. (laughs) Because we're trying to figure out what's going on over there. And, uh, you know, we all have cool cars. We like dealing with cars, tuning cars. And we're just wondering how this is going to affect us. Because there's a lot of, you look on the internet, there's a lot of, you know, armchair quarterbacks with what's going on out there. And we just, we want this scale. What's going on? Yeah, well, if you, um, you know, like like nowadays, if you go by people's reactions on the internet, things seem a lot more exciting and uh, insane than they really are. But, um, yeah, I mean, what's going on is really nothing new. It's uh, a small step forward in enforcement but um you know I, let me just let me just uh take a step back to, to where all this started is the uh how much time do we have to talk today <laughs> we have plenty of time. you know what we should do first first why don't you tell me what o34 motorsport is so we can get a little bit of perspective on where you're coming from and how this affects you and why you have knowledge oh, you about it in the first place yeah, that's a good point, because if anyone should be freaked out, it should be me, right? So, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I have some uh, friends that work at other places, and I know that they're designing things that are like, oh, you got to figure out a way to work around this. And I know it's affecting people. Yeah, I mean, depending on the company and the type of product they offer, it, it could affect them more than, than others. But, um, yeah, I, I started 034 Motorsport in the early 2000s. It was uh, – I, I was – I was a automotive enthusiast. I especially loved Volkswagens and Audis. I came at things from a very Audi-centric perspective, and I was inspired by Audis racing uh, in the 80s 
starting in uh, the rally that they did with Hans Stuck and, and all that, and then <clears throat> eventually through to the AMSA GTO racing where they raced the, the five-cylinder Audi 90 Quattros. And that really inspired me into the whole Audi Quattro universe, and I became obsessed with trying to make my uh, Audi 80 into an IMSA GTO in you know the late 90s, and that ultimately led me to start developing and creating products and services. It's because uh, you couldn't find so, anybody to make the stuff you wanted. Well, there was there wasn't. I mean, uh, APR had just started in the early 2000s. Um, and there's a company called Two Bennett that was like doing a little bit of stuff, but there was basically no Audi tuning industry, certainly nothing like what we see today. And so I, I had this vision that what if, you know, some guy like me who owns an Audi could open a catalog that, that was like summit racing, like, like a Mustang owner had, <laughs> but what if he could open that and, and see parts, suspension, engine tuning parts for his Audi. And there was literally nothing like that. And so I, I kind of would daydream about that. Did you have anybody and, uh, else that you were hanging out with where everybody, it, was anybody else complaining like, man, I can't find anything for my 20 valve turbo. What's going on? This sucks. Sort of, but it was actually even a, a step back from that where people just thought Audis aren't tunable. Mm. It's, there's not, and no one does anything for it. And frankly, you can't, you have to go buy a Ford or a Chevy or a Honda at that time, you know, if you had a Honda Civic, you could do a lot of stuff to it. Right. So there was all these, these cheap Audis floating around. I mean, an Audi 4,000 Quattro yeah. was Sweet. about one fifth the price back then than it is now. Uh, an Audi 80 Quattro was about a third of the price back then than it is now. Because about so 90% just... of them have rusted out between back then <laughs> and now. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's some element of truth to that, but what's really going on is that the cars were just, you know, some business professional bought them in the early 90s and then drove them for 10 years and they got kind of older and they just dumped them on the market in the used car market. But now you've got guys competing to buy them so they can fix them up because thanks to the thriving aftermarket that now exists, that, was, that wasn't around back then. Right. And, you know, me and people like me proved that you could take a 130 horsepower Audi, give it 500 horsepower, really not change much in the drivetrain and have a car that could beat like Porsches and Ferraris and Lamborghinis, you know, you know for a relatively modest investment. So that's kind of how zero three, four motorsports started. And did you kind of today, know that, that potential was there when you were like, okay, this thing's got 130 horsepower. This sucks. Or was it kind of like, we're going to push the envelope and see how far that we can take this. Yeah, I, that's, that's what it was is I, you know, I, the car had 130 and then I turbocharged it and it had 160 and then I took it to 200 and then 250 and 300. <laughs> and I just kept going up and people couldn't believe that the clutch was holding or the axles were holding that the transmission wasn't exploding. And I eventually took that car up to about 900 horsepower, rel relatively stock drivetrain. You know, I had to change the clutch, but um, you know, it, it was guys like me early on were able to prove that these cars have incredible potential and you don't have to go out and buy a Supra or something like that to be able to make a ton of horsepower. And have a lot of fun. And these cars have Quattro, so you can actually use 500 horsepower. You can right. come, out of a corner you can step on the throttle you can spool up the turbo and that boost hits and the car just rockets out of the corner instead of just spinning the inside tire like you know every front wheel drive it kind of gives <laughs> you, you know, a different or, perspective of breaking your neck when a car breaks your neck it's not from the way it yeah. looks 
Yeah, and, and, you know, you didn't have to do a lot. You just had to give it the, you know, modify the engine so it had enough power. So that's so kind of how we started. what was the first product that you guys started selling? Like, what was the one that was like, bam, we're on, we're on the page. Everybody wants this. What was the one thing that really, or was there one thing that really took off for you guys? Yeah, no, there was. It, it, you know, um, back then it was all about the killer app. And I'm from Silicon Valley. So it was like develop a core product and then build an ecosystem around it. And so my core product that I started with was a fully programmable standalone engine management system that could run an Audi five cylinder. At the time, there was a number of standalones on the market that they could do four cylinder or six cylinder or eight cylinder, but they weren't they weren't capable of dealing with an odd number of cylinders, mathematically speaking. Right. And so I, I met a, a really brilliant uh, software engineer and a systems control expert. And he and I started working together. Um, and at the time he had started working on this, this ECU product because in California um, they had made it legal to convert uh, forklifts to propane. And so he thought if I can come up with a little engine controller that would run, an, you know, it can run even or odd cylinders, then there's, there's a million forklifts that are going to be converted to propane. Yeah. And so, so he and I started talking. I said, well, what if you did a, what if we, we made a, this ECU so it can control like up to like 12 cylinders? And and so we he and I started working on that. And that was our first product that we came out with. So it was one of the first standalone programmable ECUs that allowed uh, any number of cylinders. But I focused this application around five cylinders. And I started selling these ECU packages for uh, people that were looking to convert their uh, basically it's a really crude, those cars came with a really crude fuel injection called CIS. Yeah. So the whole idea was rip that shit off, put on programmable standalone engine management, have no math, no airflow sensor. So you can, you could stick a turbo or anything you want in there and you can flow as much air as you could ever want into the engine. And then you can program it. So you're, you're never limited on, tuning anymore so if you want to change your turbo put a bigger turbo change your exhaust put bigger injectors you pull out your laptop you granted you have to learn how to tune which our customers at the time had no no problem doing and and so that was our first product and of course once you have this ecu on your car you you can now buy any number of turbos or exhaust systems and injectors and coils and fuel rails and so the accessories around it, you know, we just built a whole catalog around allowing right. our customers to do that. Now we've completely evolved into a completely different company now where we actually go in and remap the factory ECU tuning, just like, you know, super chips and right. a, a lot of the companies out there that you hear of. Uh, by APR is kind of the big, has been the big player in our industry, but we're, we're going, we've been going after their business for a while. Right. And we have an entire catalog of, world-class high quality bolt-on products so you can go buy a newer audi and you can outfit the entire car with our suspension components braking components and you know almost double your horsepower with bolt-ons and it's actually pretty cheap you know a lot of our customers uh, i don't know if you're familiar with like the b8s4 that's really popular right now which yep. would be kind of like a 20, 2015 audi s4 yeah the supercharged <laughs> six the supercharged 3.0 right so you can you can buy that car for you can buy them from anywhere from 10 grand to probably 30, 35 grand for newer, newer ones. And for about six or seven grand, you can have a, a, 
car in the 10 second quarter mile, uh, zero to 60 in like three seconds. Wow. Um, with like 550 horsepower on pump gas. Is that actually <laughs> um, so, three seconds or do I have to put a bunch of sticky stuff on the track and, and have it only be from a certain place and, and all this other nonsense? If, if, if you do all that, you could probably get well into the twos. But I'm just talking about, you know, pull out of your driveway and, and these cars have DSGs and really fast shifting. It's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous how fast things have gotten yeah. and how easy it is to, to get these speeds. So this thing yeah. that seems like it would greatly affect you. You know, I, I, so the way we read this is look, if you don't have a, a factory ECU or it's not an ECU that's on this really thin list of carb approved ECUs, your car is going to fail and you can't drive it. And it's like this, we see it as this huge attack on the industry you know, and it's just one more step towards not being able to do anything, not being able to have, you know, California's like after everybody's muffler. They were pulling everybody over for that for a while. And it's just yeah. all these little steps. So how does this affect your company and people that want to do um, what your company sells? Yeah, so you're right. At first glance, everything you just said is what it seems like. But like most things, um, if you know enough about it, you you can see the, the loopholes and the gaps and, and where the opportunities are. This is exactly why people like Jeff Bezos pay no taxes, right? I mean, you right. look at the tax code and it's like, oh my God, Jeff Bezos is going to pay $500 million a year in taxes. Well, he actually pays zero because he, he knows, you know, how to, how to get around it. So that, that's, that's our, our opportunity is, is to have a good enough understanding. Just a second. We can't hear you very well. It sounds like you're, like you're at a, you're at a Formula Sorry. E event. <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. hear the cars, but I can hear the wind. <laughs> Sorry, somebody was driving by. Um, yeah, the opportunity for us is, uh, you know, like like I was saying about Jeff Bezos, you know, on, on paper, if you look at the tax code, looks like he's going to have to pay a half a billion dollars a year in taxes. But right. in reality, he pays none because he knows he knows how to navigate go to you know, the regulations. That's right. And, and that's so that's our opportunity is to really understand what these laws are and what these regulations are and and then figure out how legally we can work work around them. So are we going to so, be suffering for performance? Are we just going to have to be like, well, we just can't do no. what we used to do? Or what if I've no, got a not, car that's got the old, old, uh, the old tuning software on it? Are they going to say, sorry, too bad? Or how does this work for the guys that bought the stuff in like 2003, 2004 or something? It's more problematic. So, you know, I'll, I'll say on the surface, it's more problematic for older cars that have had many um, modifications or a deep level of modifications. So for example, you know, for that, that 1990s car that has a big turbo kit on it and standalone ECU and, uh, you know, the, the OBD system has been disabled. Right. It's, it, it does pose a challenge for guys like that. Um, it poses a challenge, like their car is going to fail and they can't drive it. They won't, they won't be able to pass now because they don't have factory ECU code, but they wouldn't be able to pass anyways before. Right. So th this new thing that just started is the BAR is actually scanning the factory ECU and they're doing a checksum analysis and they're seeing, is any of the code in the ECU been changed? And they can very easily do this. It's right. trivial. Yeah. So actually the, the Bureau of Auto Repair in California was given the power to do this in 2013. And, and for the last eight years, they've been scanning every car that gets smogged and they've been evaluating how many cars that are getting smogged actually have modified factory code. And they right. found 
that about 10,000 cars a year in California, so a very small number of cars, um, had modified code. So 10,000 uh, cars out of millions of cars seems completely inconsequential to anything at all. <laughs> what do they do? Why do they even care? Are they just trying to make an example out of people? Just make no, it seem like I, they're doing something? No. So, so uh, you know, let, let's go back 40 years. Okay. Um, you know, Congress passed the Clean Air Act. Um, 40 years ago, you know, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face in Los Angeles and rivers were catching on fire and, you know, the, the air was in pretty bad shape. So right. the, the country, you know, the government needs to do something. So they passed the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. And, um, and so that gave, uh, you know, Congress the control, but Congress gave the control to the EPA to enforce this new law. And Basically, Congre uh, the EPA was given complete control to enforce and create laws over any person or company or entity in the U.S., except for racing. And so the, the racing industry lobbied at the time and said, that's nice that you want clean air, but there's like seven of us out here racing and, and we don't want to have to deal with that. And so thankfully, ra the racing industry or sanctioned racing or organized racing was given... Uh, a waiver on anything related to the Clean Air Act. So you could take a factory emissions controlled vehicle, you could rip all the emissions control systems off it, and you can go racing and not have to worry about melting your catalytic converter or any of that stuff. Before we get too so far that, away, from, I want to touch on something you said. Yeah. So the EPA has the power, because of the Clean Air Act, to come up with regulation and laws at whim and enforce them? Well, to a degree. What, what's the I structure mean, that, that regulates that? What is there anything that regulates them making regulations? Is there any oversight or anything? Yeah. So Congress uh, has an oversight capability over the EPA. And then we have the legal system. So a uh, perfect example is the California muffler thing. Uh, you know, that was thrown out after, after it was challenged in court. Uh, it, they came out with initially. It was frozen because of lawsuits. And then eventually the state backed down and legally in court, they were challenged and they, they decided it wasn't worth or, or they weren't, it was decided that they weren't, they didn't have the authority to do that. So Congress does have oversight. And then, uh, you know, so if, if the EPA passes a law or creates a regulation that private industry doesn't like, they'll get sued. And you see this playing out all over across the regulatory environments, environmental regulations of all kinds, civil rights regulations, gun laws, abortion rights, they all get challenged right. legally. So but Americans do have, have that have passed by Congress, though. They're not, these laws That's and regulations right. aren't enacted by a unelected bureaucracy to do things, right? So if the EPA yeah. is doing things and then we have to, it seems like it's the opposite way around. Like laws should be passed and then challenged, not the fact that this, by, by our elected representatives, not, a, not a, an agency that is making law that then has to be checked by Congress. It feels like it's backwards. It's possible. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no, that's okay. I'm just going to, you don't that, have to, I'm not, a, it's yeah, okay. I'm not a politics expert. So um, it's, it's possible what you're saying is true. From, from my understanding of the way the EPA is operating, certainly in this instance, is the law was the Clean Air Act. Yeah, and so right, they, right. they now have the ability to enforce the Clean Air Act. And this is just a, an extension of their enforcement. They're checking. Uh, cars for for compliance uh, action, and if they find that it's not compliant to that law, then they have the right to enforce it. And I've had right. to explain this to a lot of people. Like, like keep in mind, 
modifying your ECU, modifying the emission systems on your streetcar is illegal. It always has been. So right. it's not all of a sudden illegal. This is not a new law. Yeah, like if this you get your cat taken off at the shop, if a shop cuts your cat off and puts a pipe in, that's illegal and it always has been. It always has been. There's nothing new, uh, you know, related to that. And if you went and tried to smog your car last year without a cat, you would have failed. Right. You're going to fail it now, too. And if you had a modified ECU program last year, uh, you could have failed. And if certainly if you if your numbers in the tailpipe didn't match up or all your readiness codes, your O2 sensor, all, all the emission systems didn't hit readiness, you would have failed last year, too. So. Sure. I'm I'm a little skeptical when people like think that this is such a disaster. It's certainly a small incremental step forward, but Seems it's not as big of a deal. It's it's not as big of a deal as a lot of people are making because it's it's not a new law. That's nothing new. It's just simply an additional enforcement, which I, I think Congress or any legal argument would say they, they actually have a fiduciary responsibility to enforce these laws. I would agree. And so the problem is probably they've had maybe some kind of liability in the past for not doing these type of things. So the more of these type of things they do, the better protected they are because they're actually enforcing the laws that have been trusted. Yeah. And I they're mean, the enforcement agency. Just like if the police, you know, all of a sudden decides not to punish people for some law, you know, then they, they, they could be questioned in the future. Well, I'm not. I'm not touching that one with a ten foot pole. I can think of a few examples where that is not true, but we'll just, we'll just not go there. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so if right. you think about whether it's, um, if the EPA passes, if the Congress passes the Clean Air Act, and they say these are the laws that were voted by your elected representatives, pass these laws. They pass Congress. They're on the books. It is the law. It is actually the responsibility of the federal government to enforce the law. And if they're not enforcing the law, right. they could be held uh, fiscally responsible for any damages That's because right. they didn't enforce the law. So That's with- right. And, and, you, and you see more and more liability being created around climate change and things like that. Right. Exxon's getting sued. You know, these, these companies that have denied climate change or have participated in contributing to it, you know, supposedly are, are now seeing legal threats. Now, I'm not... I'm not Again, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot fall other right. than to say these lawsuits are real. They, they do. They do have litigation surrounding them and they are real liabilities that these massive corporations are now defending themselves against. Seems just so like the there's EPA a lot of possibly, momentum right now towards like getting away from tuning a combustion engine in general is under assault. Yeah, it just seems like the yeah. momentum was like it was kind of like this gray area where. I don't know, maybe if it was like if you were in a school and there was a few rules, like maybe you needed a hall pass, but the teacher kind of let you out anyway and you went out and went to the bathroom and came back and there was no big deal. But now there's a guy in the hall that if you don't have a hall pass, you're getting detention every single time. Every single time. <laughs> every right. time. And, and it's all the time. It's like it's like all of a sudden well, that they're just super strict and just the momentum just doesn't seem like it's in our favor. Well, it is, though. Keep in mind technology is enabling this right so there there is now technology that enables you know the shithole smog station on the corner to scan your ecu and do checks on you know checks right that, that's new technology that enables that that uh, you know wasn't available to the bar 10 years ago and this technology is now readily accessible to the point that you know they can give it to every smog shopping in the states and other states are doing this too not just california this is not they're not the only ones um, but keep in mind, the technology is in, is in is favoring companies like us too. 
So as the technology progresses, uh, you know, this is like the same reason NSA security 10 years ago is not NSA security now. They've, they have to be ahead of the hackers. Right. Um, and so, you know, the, the aftermarket industry also has the same access to technology and can um, outsmart some of these regulations as quick or more quickly than these slower moving agencies like the Bureau of Automotive Repair or even CARB, which is, a, you know, bureaucratic agency that does not make fast decisions. No, I'm supposed so, to know. This is kind of, if you think about it, all this car stuff, everything we've always done has always had a little bit of a rebel streak in it, right? Ever since you go sure, all the way sure. back to day one, when dudes are running moonshine or whatever, or they're, or they're racing on like two horsepower things, it was illegal to go yeah. more than seven miles per hour. This is, I feel like it's, there's always going to be room and there will always be rebels that try to figure out a way to circumvent and break the law and just do whatever yeah, they want. If they're going to want to go fast, they're going to figure out a way. Yeah, it's Burt Reynolds, it's the Dukes of Hazards, <laughs> you know, it's 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 uh, James Dean, you know, um, uh, you know, The Great Escape, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we all want to do more with cars and we want to go faster and have fun. Um, and, you know, there's there's these uh, motors agencies. from Japan, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, right. I'll just I, like, I, my car's I mean, a 72. <laughs> my car's a 72. Look, it doesn't gonna, matter. I'm just going to keep my well, 75. <laughs> That's a good place to stay, right? Because you're you're protected from all this. But yeah. I mean, yeah, even you even look at Fast and the Furious. You know, it's very rebellious. So there's yeah, there is something in car culture about that. Um, so so let, let me just you know tell you, if if you can flash your car back to a stock ECU file, you can go get smogged, and right. you're not breaking any laws. And you know, you're breaking laws when you flash it back to whatever you had, uh, but you're not going to get necessarily get caught for that. It's kind um, of a whole and, come and take it kind of thing, you know, though. Yeah, it is, uh, but, you know, <laughs> from uh, my cold so dead hands, we, we, we sell. So we, we have several tunes that are carb approved. So we have, you know, executive orders. Is that hard? Carb. Is it so, hard to get carb approved? Do you, what's it's, the, it's, it's, it's very hard and very expensive and very time consuming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it takes a couple years to get through the process. Once you're, once you've done it, it's easier because you're in their system and, and you can kind of apply some of the approvals you have on other stuff to the new things that you bring. But the first time is the hardest because you have to go through the entire process. So I'm imagining um, you guys get cars when a car is new and it comes out, when the new S4 comes out. I mean, you guys are in uh -huh. Germany. You are there. It's like I'm getting buying serial number one and you're pulling that EC out immediately to get the train going on all this stuff. Yeah, we try. I mean, certainly within the first year, um, the, after, the aftermarket, modifications really heat up in the kind of the three to 12 year range of a life of a car. Um, because brand new cars are typically bought by people who aren't tuning them and there's warranties and things like that. But once the cars get into second uh, hand owners and then certainly out of warranty, then the, the tuning really heats up because, you know, you can go buy, you know, a $80,000 S4, or you can buy that for, for 40,000 or 35,000 five years later still a, like a new car right and then you can you can throw 10 grand at it and have you know like i said a 10 second car that can keep up with just about anything on the road um so you know we do uh, within the first year or so of the car being on the road we want to get in there and, and start the development process so we're ready right. in that two to three year time frame so in any any of our tunes though we offer stock files so if if you have a stock car 
and you flash your car with our stage one file, um, then when you want to go get smogged, if and when you need to, which is typically eight years from, from when the car was purchased, it's a pretty long time, then you just you can go on our server, you plug your cable into your laptop, and you just it takes two minutes, and you just flash your car back to stock, and you go get smogged, and you don't have any problems. Right. Now, if, if you have something like a stage two or stage three where you have additional hardware components on there, you've changed your injectors, then you would need to swap back to stock injectors and any of the stock parts. Um, you know, the turbo you wouldn't need to, but there's there's a few components related to the engine management function that you'd have to swap back, which injectors would be one. And yeah. and then you can splash back to the stock file once you're back on stock injectors. Certainly you need a stock cat, all right. that stuff. Um, so, you know, what they're doing now by testing the ECU, it doesn't change any of the hardware. The hardware has always been illegal. It's always been problematic anyways. So you've always had to swap back to stock hardware. The question now is you do, you actually need a stock file and if you're if you're our customer, it's trivial to do that. Right. Now there are other companies where you go to a shop and they flash your car to stage one. And so if you want to flash back the stock, assuming they even offer a stock file, then you'll have to drive back to that shop, pay them to flash your car back to stock. You could go get smogged, then you'll come back and then flash back. We make it easy because our customers can flash their own cars at home. That's awesome. Or at Starbucks or at the track or <laughs> right, you right, know, right. at the gym. As long as there's Wi-Fi, they can flash their car wherever they want. They can even use the, their phone as a hotspot. So one more question before um, we let you go, and it's kind of a big one. Mm -hmm. What is the future of a company like yours with the phasing out of the combustion engine? What What do you guys see yourself doing in 15 years? Yeah, no problem, man. We, we think about that a lot. So, um, We're specifically Volkswagen Audi focused, but I think you can pretty much... Um, apply this concept to any new automotive uh, brand that's out there is uh, when you sit in the path and the driver's seat of an, a Volkswagen or an Audi or just about any car and you push on the accelerator pedal, you're requesting a certain amount of torque from the engine right. and the ECU decides how much torque you get. And it's, it's sort of related to how far down you push the pedal, but based on, Laws, regulations, emissions requirements, uh, liability, legal, and financial. The ECU has about 50, new modern ECUs have about 50,000 different maps that determine how much torque you get based on how far down you push the throttle pedal and all the other conditions that the ECUs monitor. Right. Now, what we do is we go in and we augment the ECU to give you more torque when you request it. It doesn't matter to us whether that torque comes from uh, internal combustion or electricity or hydrogen or whatever. So we simply just go into the factory ECU and we reprogram it to give you more torque more aggressively than the factory has deemed appropriate. So you just guys have just a more button. Like your computer doesn't even have a keyboard. There's just a button that just says more, 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 more. <laughs> That's a really simple way to put it. I've wanted to, catchy marketing slogan you know yeah, what's, what's the office the office supply that has a that there's a yeah the easy button so are you guys going to be able to run electric market. motors harder than they were originally intended for if let's say you've got a uh, i don't even know what is like a 400 or 800 volt motor or whatever it is and yeah. are you, you going to be able to be like you know what i want this controller to provide to just draw more from the battery is that a possible is that a possibility Abs 
Absolutely. So what we yeah, what we say is, awesome. you know, Audi said that when you push the throttle down all the way, you get 400 foot pounds of torque. Well, we're going to say give him 500 foot pounds of torque, you know, and it doesn't matter how the power comes out. The controllers are all basically the same and they, they all operate on the torque request model. And so if we can go tell the ECU to provide more torque, and that just simply means that the, the controller is going to feed more amperage and voltage to the motor to achieve more torque. And, you know, if the wire is going from the controller to the battery pack to the motor aren't big enough, then we'll upgrade those. You know, and that's what Tesla does when you when you get the plaid mode. Right. It's like, I don't know, it's like $15,000 and you get a, a two-foot-long wire. You know? <laughs> and, and then they, and they flash your car to a different you know, program. So we can do the same thing. The future is very bright. Okay. Uh, it's it's going to take a little bit of adaptation from companies like ours. And I don't think all the companies that are doing internal combustion now will migrate to the other side. There will be new companies that step in who are able to take on those challenges. But we we have a bright future and we're very excited about electrification and we don't we don't. We don't see any threats with it. We just see the opportunities and we have the engineering expertise to navigate, you know, the, the small technological changes, relatively small, uh, to, to provide our customers with more performance. That's awesome, man. I, I, yeah. I, I you know, I'm, I kind of have this back and forth thing, you know, I, my, my thing with more is just hit the gas pedal and the carburetor is open and more fuel just like pours in like a fire hose. That's my more, but I look right. forward to there being more in the future too, as long as we can continue to do stuff. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of an old school guy. I'm not super excited. I'll miss the sound and I'll miss all this other stuff. And, but I do realize that if enthusiasm and motoring in general is going to be something that we have as a, as a leisure thing, something that we have as a hobby, we have to accept that this is the future. This is the way it's going to be. And I'm glad that there's people like you around that are still going to be screwing with stuff, making it possible yeah. for us to still get more out of our car. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's what we're here to do. And we see the opportunities. I, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm always going to own an internal combustion engine. I'm going to drive them wherever I, I, I'm able, but I think it's good to embrace the new technology and see what's possible with it as well. Cause you're right. It is coming. Every manufacturer is going electric. I mean, it's across the board. Um, For sure. Audi has basically going to be uh, 50% electric in the next three years. And they're talking about being a hundred percent not too far after that, and that's just Audi. But all of them, Ford. I mean, Ford is it's releasing everybody. It's absolutely trucks, everybody. electric trucks. I mean, it's yeah. crazy, right? Mustangs that are electric. So it's here, it's happening, and um, you know, there's uh, there's going to be plenty of like internal combustion engines for us to mess with, um, you know, from the past. But more and more, there'll be less of them, and and you know, I think most car enthusiasts will probably have an electric car and a and a you know a vintage 2015 ice in their garage you know and then they'll take that right. to the track you know and, and have fun with that when they can but it'll be it'll turn into a more of a quirky cottage you know almost like the the people who drive bugs and you know horse and buggies <laughs> yeah. uh, now you know in 50 years they'll still be internal combustion engines but it'll be you know. like i always say it's going to be me in my 911 making as much noise as possible in downtown <laughs> minneapolis not even supposed to be there catch me if you can that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Javad, thank you for you coming go. on and clearing this up for us. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. It's, it's been great. For, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm available anytime if you guys ever want to talk again. All right, sounds good. We might, as, as the right. little steps go along, we'll probably take you up on that. Take care, buddy. Happy to do it. Later. Yep, bye. Bye-bye.
Super interesting conversation, first of all. That is. Really, really uh, enlightening, and especially hearing from someone that has to actually deal with this. And as with anything on the internet, you know, headlines sell. But my main takeaway from this in my head is, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, and I think I knew this. Oh, my God, the EPA is making laws (laughs) without- Willy-nilly. An unelected bureaucracy is creating laws. Right. That scares me quite a bit. Right. I don't like that at all. I feel like Congress should have to pass the laws, but they're lazy. So basically what they did is they created this agency to so take care of it guys all. Just you guys go ahead and just, just make make sure we're not breathing noxious fumes. And then all of a sudden you end up putting pontoons on your houseboat. Or your, <laughs> and, and like you, yes, yes, you, indeed you, you do. You have a navigable water in your backyard, <laughs> exactly. so you have to put pontoons on it so you can build a garage. Yes. We end up doing that. Or there's like some sort of tiny insect which is endangered, so your own personal property is at risk. Right. So obviously things have, in my opinion, have skewed way out of control, <laughs> when we, especially when we're talking about coming down. Like, I get it. This is the law, right? right? This is the law. This is what was done. It should be enforced. However, it seems a little bit silly to come down on 10,000 people. Exactly. I and, was thinking that, too. And crush, like... At some point, there's diminishing returns, and, in, and if they're truly not trying to make a statement on things then maybe they don't need to focus their energies there. It's interesting because as far as Javad was concerned, hardware or software, basically, if you're going to go into a smog testing place and you had a catless downpipe, you need to replace that in order to get smog proof. It's the same thing with software now, aside from he said they did have a few that are actual approved tunes. Yep. Here's what's Those are all stage one, though. Yes. Mike, what I got. Right. So basically, in his eyes, you know, we're just selling this as consumers do. They, it, they all say on them for off-road use only, right? Correct. So when does this stuff become illegal to sell? That is what I'm getting at. Because if you think back to our Friday's episode, we had the news episode that said, oh, well, maybe the gas stations are now liable for selling gas to DUIs. Mm-hmm. At what point are they going to say, well, you know, uh, 034 Motorsport, you need to confirm now that your parts are only going on off-road vehicles and yes. race cars. You know, it's it that's could be, the scary part. That could that would see the thing is I think that would be new new law though. So they're going to have to pass new laws for that kind of liability. Right. I would think you know if you look at what happened on uh on the what was it the Monday or the Friday episode where we right. talked about the the DUI thing? Yeah, the gas station that was, DUI. Uh, that was, went up through the Supreme Court, sure. and it was like a court decision that was decided that you can do this. Right. So that's going to have to be something that will be adjudicated or regulated. That doesn't exist yet. But, but if it certainly the could. EPA wants to really nip this in the bud, it could be coming. It could. It could be coming. I, who knows? It's That's pretty small fish to fry. I I'm would not hope sure so, to my point about like diminishing returns. Yeah, Why go I, after? I would hope so as well. Anyways, with that, we will see you now on Monday. Yeah, we're on Monday. What have you got again? I What's have an going on? awesome episode about the sheer audacity of an American hero that you have never heard of. I can almost promise you've never heard of this story. I, I had not heard the story. And one thing I would remind everybody to do is share the podcast. Yes. Share it, share it, share it. We, uh, we would really appreciate it. It's all viral. It's all word of mouth. We would really appreciate you guys sharing the podcast. Follow, five-star reviews, all that stuff that everybody tells you what to do. It, it helps. We would really appreciate it. It does help very, very much. Take care.